Welcome. This is a special AFC West preview edition of the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. I'm Adam Best, here with producer Richard doing his thing behind the scenes. Sterling is on vacay this week, so we switched it up and brought you Wacky Wednesday on Funky Friday. So we've got a packed show with a couple of great guests today. Uh, We're focusing on two looming threats out West. First, we'll take a look at the Broncos as they usher in the Sean Payton era. That should be a lot of fun. Then we'll analyze Justin Herbert and the latest round of Chargers hype that happens every season. Will it actually materialize into something more than hype this year? We will find out. No Raiders. We need a whole hour to clean up that mess and unpack it. But before we get into all that fun stuff, I have an exciting offer to share and take a deep breath because even my best effort won't be half as fast as Sterling, but I'll try to do our our, uh, advertising partners justice. Whew, here we go. Chiefs fans, Caesars Sportsbook is kicking off the NFL season with a new bet. Bet $50, get $250 in bonus bets. For a limited time, new users can sign up with our code arrow get and redeem $250 in bonus bets after placing your first wager of $50 in any NFL game. Even if your first bet loses, you will receive one $50 bonus bet credit each week over the next five weeks. Pretty good deal there. Make sure to enter our code arrow get while signing up to have a bet on Caesars each week to start off the season. That's code arrow get. Do I need to say it four more five times to, to get it through? This offer is only available to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer. You can also check out arrowheadaddict.com slash bets by scanning the QR code on screen or by clicking the link in the description for even more betting offers. All right, let's welcome our first guest. I hope I don't butcher this. Not the best with names. Lou Scataglia. That's perfect, Adam. You got it. Okay. You got it. Of predominantly orange. Sir. Fan-sided Denver Broncos site. One of the oldest sites in the network. A uh, bright football mind who's here to help us figure out the next chapter of Denver Broncos football. Thanks for coming on the show. Adam, I feel really fortunate that you invited me on. I am very ready to hype up the Broncos oh, man. for the sixth straight year. Let's do it. I'm, I'm ready too. So we have six questions for you. Let's crack open that six pack. The first question, Nathaniel Hackett was a bit of a laughingstock last year, unfortunately for you guys. But Sean Payton, on the other hand, brings some serious gravitas to Denver. How has that coaching change affected the players? So I think last year when Hackett came on, we were so excited because we finally got that young offensive mind that so much of the league was copying that we didn't really, a lot of the the attention to detail stuff, if you will, we just kind of shrugged off like, oh my gosh, we have Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson. Like what could be better? Um, with Sean Payton, you're getting more attention to detail. You're getting less of that pizzazz that Nathaniel Hackett brought. Now he's Seems like a great person, uh, very upbeat guy, very seems like a very kind man, but he's not an NFL coach, right? Sean Payton doesn't seem to care much for the pizzazzy stuff. Um, so I think we have more attention to detail. I even think um, our practices are more intense. Um, as far as I understand, last year, there was a report that um, 
George Payton, our GM, had to tell Nathaniel Hackett, like, hey, you need to like practice more. Hackett also didn't play our starters in the preseason last year, which, you know, we can debate that until we're blue in the face about playing starters in the preseason. But I think we could probably agree that it's a good idea, even to get Patrick Mahomes a couple series in the preseason. Um, so we have starters playing in the preseason. We have intense practices. I think we have way more attention to detail. And we have someone in Sean Payton who has done this before. Um, I think even before coming to Denver, he's probably already a Hall of Fame head coach, um, probably next to Andy Reid as two of the best offensive minds of this generation. And he's this is his, what, 16th training camp, 16th year as being a head coach. So I, I just think he brings something that we needed. He, he I think when Sean Payton was brought in, we all just kind of like exhaled a little bit. You know, that, that's not to say that we won't have a an eight and nine season in 2023. Right. Sean Payton had a few losing seasons. But I just think now that we have some structure in the building, um, that's that's something that was absent these last few years with uh, Vic Fangio, Vance Joseph and uh, Nathaniel Hackett. I agree with you. A lot of Chiefs Kingdom isn't taking him or the mm-hmm. Broncos very seriously. But here's a guy, I think he's already in the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. he had, It's not just his work with Drew Brees that's impressed me. Right. It's when, when he has to work with any other quarterback, when he makes Teddy Bridgewater or Jameis yep. Winston looks great. Yep. Look Trevor great. Simeon, too, in right. 2021. Trevor right. Simeon looked like a starting caliber quarterback with Sean Payton, which was wild to me got the best out of Taysom Hill to the point people were wondering if Taysom Hill was a real quarterback he is of course not and then the running game is always cracking with him but I think the biggest difference to me a lot of these guys we know they can coach at a coordinator level to some extent right but do they have the CEO type ability to kind of be that cliche leader of men Mm -hmm. and, and handle all the pressure all the duties yep. and make everybody else's life easier. I think Sean Payton can certainly do that. And that that's been your impression through one preseason. Yeah. So last year when Hackett came in, I was, my expectations were through the roof. Um, I'm a teacher. So I was hyping up the Broncos to my students. I, I honestly thought we were going to go 11 and six and make the divisional round last year. That was my official prediction this year. You know, I think, we're going to be a better team. We're going to be a more disciplined team. We might not have the eighth ranked offense, but we might be a more balanced team. You know, if I said we're going to have the 13th ranked offense and 13th ranked defense and we're going to scrape together nine or 10 wins, I don't necessarily think that is out of the realm of possibility. Um, if you go back to 05 real quick, uh, the Saints were three and 13 in 05. First year Sean Payton comes in 2006. They went 10 and six, and I think they made the wild card round. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen again, but I think there's a lot of reason to believe that we can see the Denver Broncos with a winning record this year. Um, If that's what we get and we get no playoff spot, I think that's a good start, you know, going into 2024. Yeah, generally, I think coaching kind of matters in the margins, but he's one of the few guys that I think can can really be a difference maker. And I certainly don't expect 17 points per game again. But that leads me to our next question. Do you think a Russell Wilson renaissance is possible? And if so, tell us what that could look like. Yeah. So I think if you and your listeners want a statistical prediction, I would say go back to his 2013 and 2021 seasons. I think if right now, my my prediction for Russell Wilson is that he's probably around 26 touchdown passes and is probably hovering a hair under 10 interceptions. There, there's a couple layers to this, though. So the first layer is what went on last year. Russell Wilson was playing at about 230 pounds, so he, he had gained weight because he wanted to be a pocket passer. He had a bad hamstring for a little bit of the year. He had a partially torn lat. The Broncos' offensive line was, was dreadfully bad. 
coaching wise and we had a lot of injuries and it's clear that the team didn't really have much of an offensive identity. Uh, Russell Wilson wanted to be that pocket passer. He wanted to be the Breeze and the Brady and the Manning. He wanted to stand tall in the pocket and carve up defenses. But the reality is he's five foot ten on a good day and that's not how he was so successful for a decade in Seattle. So I think now that Peyton's here, Sean Payton has made it work with a lesser talent at quarterback and Drew Brees. Now, when I say lesser talent, I mean less of an athlete at quarterback and Drew Brees. Russell Wilson is obviously probably one of the three best athletes at quarterback in NFL history. He's third in NFL history in QB rushing yards. So I think, and Sean Payton even said this uh, recent interview with Peter King, he even said he's quoted in saying, Russ's numbers are going to be a lot like 2021 and a lot less like 2020 or 2022. So I think if he finishes with 25 touchdowns and nine interceptions, like that wouldn't surprise me. That's kind of where I think he's at. Um, and the the offense that, that Russ has, has played well in for a decade, it's it's we can simplify it, right? Strong run game, competent defense, a lot of play action, a lot of bootleg stuff, a lot of moon balls, right? That's, that's what they did in Seattle for a decade. Sean Payton, I... I'm going to guess that he probably knows how to implement that kind of offense just because of how good of an offensive coach he is. And I also don't think that Russell Wilson just fell off a cliff, you know, at age 34. I don't even think we really saw much of a decline in 2021 going into 2022. So I, I personally have a hard time believing that he was really good for 10 years. And then year 11, all of a sudden, like he doesn't know what he's doing. I think he's down about 15 pounds. He's been more mobile this offseason. Sean Payton has spoken about uh, his mobility. We have, we, hopefully have a moon ball guy, if you will, um, in Marvin Mims Jr. So do I think he's going to throw for 4,500 yards and 35 tubs? No, I don't. I think he probably, he probably, his ceiling is probably like 29 touchdown passes. And I think he's probably not going to throw more than 10 interceptions. So again, if you want a, a statistical reference, look at his 2012 seasons, 20, um, I'm sorry, 2013 seasons, 20, 2021 seasons. But obviously, you know, we won't know until we hit the field, but I have faith and I've tried to put my bias aside here as a diehard fan. I have faith that Russell Wilson will look somewhat like his old self. And that's, that's as far as I'm willing to go right now. Gotcha. So the numbers you threw out there, like yeah. mid twenties touchdowns, mm -hmm. 10 or 12 interceptions. Yeah. That's kind of like a slight Aaron Rodgers year. I think that's what Aaron Rodgers did yeah. last year. That was a down year mm -hmm. for him. Right. I kind of think with Russ now, hopefully Father time comes for everybody, especially when you're an athletic quarterback. It came for Cam Newton yep. very, very early. Hopefully that's not the case. Personally, I think you just cannot let this guy cook and be you know, the, the head of his own restaurant, right? right? You need a very, you need a sous chef. You need a very limited menu. You know, you need to, to stick to the ingredients that he knows how to work with. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting with his penchant for play action and mm -hmm. that moon ball you spoke about. Yeah. The first big thing Sean Payton does is he comes in and trades for Marvin Mims. And if you think back to some of the guys he had in, in new Orleans, some of those deep ball guys, yeah. uh, Kenny stills comes to mind. I'm sure there, mm -hmm. there are quite a few others, Brandon but I, I, I think that kind of tells you he's wanting to get back to, to the old Russell Wilson. Yeah. And, and, and I think the fact that that gravitas we spoke about that Sean Payton has Someone kind of needs to put mm -hmm. Russell in check a little bit, right? Because yeah. I think Russell's ego, uh, he, he wants to be Tom Brady, right? Mm -hmm. and, and he's he just not, there's nothing wrong with being Russell Wilson. Right. You're right. I mean, he has what, just about like 5,000 rushing yards. Like that's who he is. He runs the ball. You know, he can move with his legs. He's stellar at play action. That's just who he is. And that's perfectly fine. Um, I understand why he wants to be that pocket passer because those guys are, are seen like at the, you know, QB Mount Rushmore, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, you know, Joe Montana to an extent. But and I think this offseason he did accept it. Um, 
we've had, you know, rumblings and various reports from people in the know that have more or less said that Russell Wilson has kind of accepted the offense that Sean Payton is implementing. And it's going to look a lot like the Seattle days. And if that's the case, if Russell Wilson can get out of his own way and play within the structure of the offense, then maybe we see a repeat of the 2012 through 20. 15, 16 Seattle Seahawks. Maybe the Broncos end up becoming uh, a contender. I mean, that would be great. But again, we won't know until, you know, week one kicks off. Well, you guys have the secondary. You got to keep oh, adding yeah. to it. But the a, legend, a legion of boomy path may be possible. But for that path to be possible, going to need a strong running game. Yep. Javante Williams, he's kind of made a miracle recovery after yeah. tearing, what, every CL in his knee? Yeah, I, I, I mean, like. Everything you could tear in his knee. Mm -hmm. Is he really back to being 100%? Yeah. So uh, I believe our GM, George Payton and Sean Payton have both said that Javante is 100%. Um, Benjamin Albright, some of you guys might know, he's he's well connected to the organization. He has even said that there are people within the organization that have are like genuinely surprised like at this miraculous recovery. He, he tore up his knee in October and it's September 1st. So we're talking about 10, roughly, 11, months, 10 right? 11 months. Now that, that does seem normal for ACL injuries, but when you consider all the other damage that he, he didn't have any uh, nerve damage. I think that was originally reported I, I, as far as, as I know, it was all just ligament tears, but still. Yeah. Compare his recovery to JK Dobbins, for instance, right. JK Dobbins, was limping halfway through the season last year. Mm -hmm. And Javante, so maybe that's just, maybe Javante's just different. Like maybe he is. Um, running back is a very tough position. They take a lot of wear and tear, but Javante Williams is also a former linebacker. So maybe, maybe just his DNA, maybe genetically he's a bit of a uh, an alien. I mean, I think it's great. I really wanted the Broncos to sign Dalvin Cook, even if Javante Williams was totally healthy. And I still want the Broncos to trade for Jonathan Taylor even if Javante Williams is healthy. With that said, a healthy Javante Williams is scary because we've seen how well he can break tackles. We've seen him literally carry other NFL players on his back, you know, gaining 20 yards. So I think a lot is on Javante Williams this year. Um, if if he's not, let's just say that he's just not his old self, then I think this entire offense is going to struggle because we're going to be a run-first offense. And I don't trust Samaj Pirine to take a full workload because that's not who he is. But People in the organization have indicated that he is 100%, and I will take their word for it. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. I think Samaj P. Ryan's a fine role player, mm -hmm. kind of that, yeah. that third down breather back who you can trust yeah. to protect your quarterback and yeah. and uh, be a, a, heads, a heads up player in a pinch. But mm -hmm. you don't want to give him a bell cow type role. I have a lot of respect for Javante Williams. You know, he's an angry run guy oh, yeah. with like that, that Wolverine recovery and toughness. We mm -hmm. have one of the one of our own of those in Kansas City and Isaiah Pacheco. Maybe not yeah, on the level talent-wise of Javante Williams, but you mm -hmm. you have to pre appreciate uh, a hard-nosed kind of old-school Earl Campbell type yeah. runner. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about another star uh, guy. I'm super impressed with Patrick Sertain. Mm -hmm. He's already a superstar corner. Yep. Do you think a possible range of outcomes for him? is to become the top shutdown at the corner in the entire league, like a Revis or, or, or Ramsey type player. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think even in his rookie year, he was arguably top 10. Um, obviously, obviously the Broncos kind of stunk it up in 2021. So 
um, he didn't get a lot of attention. Um, in 2022, he did take a step forward. He's first team all pro, pro bowler at 22 years old. Um, I do think Sauce Gardner, you know, because he's also seen at the same tier already. I do think he gets a little bit of a New York bump just because it's East Coast and it's New York. Plus his name is Sauce. You know, yeah. he's got the swag and the, and he has the that sauce tension. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, I think Sertan is a lot better, but um, I think he already, I think Sertan already has the makeup to be a shutdown corner, and I would argue he already is. He was stellar in 2022. I think if you, if you pull up who he was lined up against, I mean, there were some games that he was allowing one, maybe two receptions. So I think I think he is a shutdown corner already. Um, can he get better? Probably. I mean, he was a first team All Pro and Pro Bowler. There's not much more he can do besides win Defensive Player of the Year, which cornerbacks winning that award at this point probably won't happen, just because we love watching uh, edge rushers sack the quarterback. It's a sack contest, right? That's why I feel it like really Chris is. Jones might not be able to win. Yeah, it, it really is just a sack con. Chris Jones is very, very talented. Maybe the best interior defensive lineman in the NFL, but. You know, Sertans, he's entering his third season. He's only 23 years old. I mean, honestly, he really has nowhere to go but up. And even if he stays at his 2022 level the rest of his career, he's still going to be, you know, a top three cornerback every year until that inevitable decline. So I think he is probably in a tier of his own, probably slightly above Sauce Gardner. Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, he did that yearly poll where he pulls all the uh, coaches and executives to rank the top 10 players at each position. And Sertan came in at number one at quarterback. So when you consider that NFL executives and coaches think that highly of Patrick Sertan as a 23-year-old third-year player, you know, think about what he can do in 2023 and in the following year. So I think the Broncos are in good hands. Maybe this is the modern-day Richard Sherman or Darrell Revis. I think that would be awesome because that would make the defense really good for a long time. But yeah, I mean, I think he's already, you know, a shutdown cornerback. I understand that. Sauce, I think, is phenomenal. He's got a little yeah, bit of that, that, that Dion in him. But we've yeah. seen him do it one year, right? Right. We've seen Patrick do it two years in a row. Mm-hmm. And I think his game really isn't predicated on speed and athleticism. It should age well. He's got that that nice family pedigree. Yep. His coverage skills are just his technique. It's everything is just about perfect. He doesn't need to be super fast, but it helps that he's fast and big. But like you were just about to say, I mean, everything else is pretty much pristine. So he doesn't need to rely on being a pure athlete, you know, to, to shut down receivers. He's one of the reasons I want our receivers to grow up fast. Yeah. Now we've we've talked about the players. Everybody knows. Mm -hmm. Let's look at a player. Maybe fans don't know as well. Yeah. Give me one X factor from the Broncos roster that opposing fans might be sleeping on. Um, so I came up with three, but I think number one for me is probably our second round pick Marvin Mims. So he profiles really closely to Brandon Cooks. And I've seen that NFL comp. Sean Payton drafted Brandon Cooks out of uh, Oklahoma State back in 2014, I think it was. And he had, I think, three really good years in New Orleans before he was traded 75 times. So the thing with Marvin Mims is that if Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler were here and healthy, Marvin Mims would probably be the fourth-ish option in the passing game. Jerry Judy might miss a couple games. Sutton's fine. Tim Patrick's out for the year. KJ Hamler's, I don't even know. I don't know what the deal with him is. I know he has a heart condition that I I hope he gets help with, but I'm not sure the Broncos are urgently uh, trying to sign him back to the roster. So I think that's more or less forced Marvin Mims into the lineup. And I think with his speed and with his athletic profile, I think he's someone is going to be forced to have a big role. And I, I alluded to Russ's moon balls a few minutes ago. I think if you're looking for Russ's moon ball guy, I think Marvin Mims profiles to be that maybe he's, you know, a Tyler, Tyler Lockett. Lockett. Yeah. yeah, maybe that would be great. 
And I think Tyler Lockett is criminally underrated. Um, so Marvin Mims is probably my guy on offense. Two quick ones on defense would be our two young edge rushers, um, Nick Benito, Jonathan Cooper. Um, they're in their uh, second and third year, respectively. They both had both had stellar camps. They're sitting behind Randy Gregory and Frank Clark on the depth chart. Obviously, you guys know a lot about Frank Clark. But I think those two on defense could probably do some damage because Vance Joseph loves to blitz and those guys can get to the quarterback. But I think Marvin Mims is probably number one is is the team's biggest X factor for this now, year. Now, Nick Benito, mm-hmm. he's kind of a spree, uh, underweight speed freak. Is that the right way to classify him? Has he bulked up a little bit? He has. Out, yeah. of, out of Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So he was more or less a pass rush specialist coming out of college. He didn't really do much in his rookie year, but this year, yeah. Yeah. He did bulk up a little bit. I think he even alluded to how he's playing fuller and he's playing. It it, it just looks like he's, he's an NFL player this year and that's fine. Players sometimes take two, three, four years to to hit their stride in the NFL. So Benito might not be a full-time starter this year, but it seems like he's going to be more polished this year, I'm not sure if he's good against the run quite yet because we haven't really seen a ton of game action. And that's also something that he doesn't do well. He doesn't really defend the run well. But yeah, I mean, Benito can get to the quarterback. And if he's playing at a heavier weight and he's playing a little bit faster and with more power, then, you know, watch out. Guys like Yannick Ngakwe have made a career out of being horrible against the run, but being mm-hmm. kind of a, a pass rush specialist. So maybe yeah. we'll see that from him. I got to ask you this. I know it's going to hurt. Okay. The Broncos haven't defeated the Chiefs since 2015. It's a long time ago. 15, I was still in high school. Ooh, I was not still in high school. I'm pretty old, but <laughs> but 15 games ago. Yeah. Is and, and last year there were a couple of scares, mm. and one of those games was very close until Wilson went out. Right, Pat. Yeah. The, the the Chiefs came out roaring, mm-hmm. and then they kind of had a, a little bit of a lapse, and Mahomes threw some interceptions. It was yeah. a tight game. Uh, I think uh, some of your defensive players made some crazy interceptions. So is Mm -hmm. this the year that the streak finally ends? Um, So us Broncos fans, we like to, we like to say that this is the year that we're going to do it. Um, And, some of these 15 straight losses since 2015, um, there have been some close games with the likes of Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater. Last year with as dysfunctional as the Broncos were, the fact that they kept both games close, to me, inspires a little bit of confidence that maybe our home game against you guys, that we can eke it out by a field goal. I just think there's going to be such a big difference in coaching. And I think if we just have a little bit better injury luck, that yes, we can squeak one out. Uh, Would I be surprised if we lost both games again? No, not at all. The Chiefs have won, what, two Super Bowls in four years. Mahomes is probably the best quarterback ever at this point in terms of talent. Um, And he's certainly on that pace. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. But yeah, I I think there is a chance. I wouldn't be surprised if we beat him 27-24. I will also say if Chris Jones is, is legit about holding out until week eight, that means... Uh, week six, I'm looking at the schedule on the wall. Week six, we have you guys in Kansas City um, Thursday. And if Chris Jones is not there, if our interior offensive line doesn't have to deal with that pressure from Chris Jones, I think that really gives the Broncos a nice chance. But again, I'm not going to be surprised if you know we get blown out one game and barely lose the other one. But if again, if you told me that we beat the Chiefs 27-24 this year and finally on the streak at home, probably, I wouldn't be surprised. I think Sean Payton knows what he's doing. Uh, Vance Joseph is a veteran coordinator. If Russell Wilson is his, is his old self, the Broncos have stability at quarterback. It could be a, a coin flip game. The Chiefs, you know, as good as you guys are on offense, you know, besides Travis Kelsey, you don't exactly have the best of talent at wide receiver, I don't think. So maybe if the Broncos can sort of minimize Travis Kelsey a bit in one of these matchups, maybe Mahomes is is strained enough that the defense can, you know, 
keep them under 30 points. But if I was a betting man, I would I would say our home game, I would I would be willing to bet that we do. It will be a very close game either way. But I, I do think just with the way that this team is trending, I think we're trending up. I think we can eke one out this year. But I say that very carefully because you guys have owned us since I was a senior in high school and I now teach high schoolers for a living. So... I mean, oh, only man. time will tell, but I have, I have a little bit of confidence. About our receivers, we like to say that they're unproven because we think, right. there's, a, we think there's a lot of talent there. Justin but, Ross but, is a dog. I Justin Ross, that. you know, Sky Moore, mm-hmm. early declare from a small school, winning the top two rounds. The last one to do that was Devontae Adams. Yeah. He didn't start fast either. Yeah. So we're hoping Rasheed right. Rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're hoping some of these guys pop. But hopefully when we play you guys the first time, Jerry Judy will be there. Chris Jones will be there. We'll get the game yeah. we all deserve. Most talented, yeah. That that would be a that would be a good show if everyone's there and ready to go. Lou, you've been a great guest. Taught us a lot about your Denver Broncos. We'll definitely have you back on the show. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Adam. It was fun. Sure was. Whew. There seems to be some some cautious confidence in Bronco country, and I don't blame them. There's an adult in the room now, so we've got one half of our show out of the way. Again, we're not doing the Raiders because an hour isn't enough time to unpack that mess. Let's welcome our second guest. You're really challenging me with the names today, guys. David Drogemeyer. Do I got that right? Drogemeyer? No, oh, man, man. No, it's it's Drogemeyer, but it's okay. Drogemeyer. I don't, I, I'm not holding it against you. You've, you haven't heard it pronounced before, so no big deal, man. David Drogemeyer. Yes. Okay, now I have it. Of the Locked on Chargers podcast... He's a savvy analyst, all thing bolts. He will uh, kind of help us figure out what's up with the upcoming phase, kind of 2.0, Justin Herbert, or 3. Is it 3.0 now? Maybe 3.0, because you, you have Kellen Moore. Will this technically be his third offensive coordinator? Yeah, okay. yeah so it sure would be. We will call it 3.0. Thanks for coming on the show. We have six questions for you, so let's crack open that six-pack and get started. Let's get it. It's annual Chargers hype season. I've got to tease you a little bit about that. It's been a thing since, gosh, I got to say, almost since the last time the Chargers won the division title in 2009. It's almost been 15 years. And and back at the end of that decade, the Chargers kind of look like the Chiefs do now. You know, Four years in a row or something like that really dominated the AFC West. Is this the year that they shocked the world, beat the Chiefs, and win the division? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a legitimate uh, possibility of that happening for the very first time in a long time. I feel like you can really have some optimism there just because talent has never been a problem for the Chargers. I mean, I I think that we can all sit here and say for the last several years, they've had some of the best talent in the NFL, but talent is not all that is what's going to allow you to get it done. You have to have depth as well. And I think this year is what separates this Chargers team from the teams in the past is they have the depth to be able to weather the storm with injuries. And I think if the Chargers stay healthy, I mean, you just look up and down the roster on both offense and defense, you would be hard pressed to find another organization, another team in the NFL that has as many stars at every single level. Yeah. I mean, age could be a factor, but you know, you look, you have Derwin James. I mean, you won't find a better safety than Derwin James, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. That's a great one, two punch. Rashawn Slater, one of the best left tackles in the game. Eckler, Herbert, you got a top six quarter, quarterback and Herbert. I could keep going. Bosa, I'd go top four, but yeah, okay. Top 
Yeah, it, it's tough for me to rank. I think Hertz has a heck of a case, but he's less proven than Herbert and Lamar. So for me, it's it's who's who's fourth and who's fifth between Herbert and Lamar. Lamar yeah, has the MVP, right there but, for sure. But but yeah, I think uh, he's he's definitely up there. And when you surround a franch a legitimate franchise level quarterback with that kind of star power, as long as you're doing a, a decent job filling in those other spots, you should be right there in the playoff mix every year. Hopefully, next time you guys get a lead, you will keep it. I still, I still can't figure out what happened there. I, I actually turned the game off at halftime. W- what's your kind of opinion of what transpired during that uh, kind of shocking playoff loss to the Jags? Yeah, I mean, I think in that game, you, you saw a lot of turnovers by the Chargers defense in the first half. I mean, Asante Samuel Jr. had three picks uh, by himself, but they had four altogether. And so there was a lot of short fields that was created for the offense. And so the offense didn't really have to do very much to be able to punch it into the end zone. And so in the second half, when they had that lead, there's only a couple of things you really had to do. You get a couple of first downs, it's over. You we're not having this conversation right now. If you get a couple of stops, same thing. We're not having this conversation. The defense couldn't stop anybody in the second half and the chargers could not run the ball when everyone in the world knew that they had to. And I think that's the difference. That's the reason why the chargers were not able to close that one out. Obviously, that one stings, and it still stings. I think if you talk to people in the Chargers organization, you talk to the players, the coaches, none of them have forgot that. They've allowed that to really burn an inferno inside them to make sure that that never happens again. And the previous offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, has been scapegoated a little bit, probably rightfully so. Do you think a lot of that falls on his shoulders I think there's definitely a portion of it that falls on his shoulders to put all of it on his shoulders. I would say would be a little facetious because it wasn't just Joe Lombardi, but he did have a hand in kind of limiting Justin Herbert and not allowing him to really throw the ball down the field because Justin Herbert is one of the strongest arms in the NFL. There's really not a throw that he can't make. I mean, he can throw it on the run. He can he can throw it, you know, back shoulder anywhere on the field. There's really nowhere he can't access. So I feel like that was not. Uh, a part of the game plan as much uh, as it should have been, especially when you have receivers like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Now, obviously, they were dealing with some injuries uh, at certain points last year, but it doesn't really matter to me. I just feel like from a from a uh, an X's and O's standpoint, they just didn't didn't call those type of plays. So I feel like coming in here with a new offensive coordinator, one who has a proven track record of success, is going to be able to change things a little bit and kind of unlock what Justin Herbert is capable of. Because having him at about six yards uh, air air yards is is a absolute travesty, and that should never happen again. This is a good transition. I'm a huge nerd, super into comic books. I don't know if you're into that stuff, superheroes. Sure. But in Guardians of the Galaxy, the latest one, the third uh, installment, there's a character called Cosmo the Space Dog, and she spends the entire movie trying to get other characters to tell her she's a good dog. And Justin Herbert, to me, from the outside looking in, seems to have kind of that people-pleaser personality. And I kind of feel like the previous regime kind of instilled in him you know, do the right thing, take what's there. Uh, Don't get outside yourself. And for me, seeing an alien like Justin Herbert with an unlimited toolbox, I just think, let it rip. So does he need to stop worrying about being perfect and doing the right thing 
and all those kind of lessons that were drilled into his brain and just let it rip. Yeah. I don't know if he really is a people pleaser. I feel like Justin Herbert's not a, a really a guy who cares about what people say about him. He's not really Fair. big on social media. He, he doesn't care about that. So as far as that's concerned, he's just all business. He's all about football. I think the bigger reason behind that is Justin Herbert has such a fast processor. He can really process the field at a very, very high rate. And he's, his brain was programmed to make the right play. And a lot of the times that was hitting the check down. And so part of what Kellen Moore had to do this offseason was try to say, hey, Justin, take an extra beat. You can make the throw. You have the athleticism to slide and be able to get to make extra time, uh, give yourself extra time to be able to hit those throws down the field. You need to take some chances because you can make those throws. So, yeah, part of that was kind of reprogramming and kind of, re, you know, changing the mentality a little bit. He was a little bit more robotic last year. Obviously, the stats still looked pretty good, but that was also Justin Herbert dealing with fractured rib cartilage for most of the season right. that happened in the first Kansas City game and also a torn rotator cuff towards the end of the season. So, or excuse me, a torn labrum, but either way, Justin Herbert was dealing with all kinds of injuries, but still threw for almost 4,800 yards. So Justin Herbert here with a coordinator, that's going to say, Hey, go take the chances. We're going to call the shots. We're going to let you go be you. And we're going to unleash the dog, take the dog off the leash. I think that's what we're going to see out of Justin Herbert this year. Brought it back to the dog. I like that. I think what I meant by people pleaser is that just really wants to make the coaching staff happy, execute the game plan. He he's he's just a very focused, uh, serious professional guy. I, I'm a big fan. Yeah. For most quarterbacks, I would not recommend this to play more out of structure, right. like a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen. But for him, you know, he really has everything you'd want. He's got the cannon arm. He's kind of sneaky. He's, he has sneaky athleticism, I would yeah. say. Would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. So I would like to see him scramble more, extend plays, play out of structure, and make things happen. He definitely has the receivers. Right. Well, he couldn't really do that as much, Adam, just because of the rib cartilage injury that really prevented and really restricted his movement. And I think that's one of the, the parts of his game that you didn't really see was the rushing aspect and to be able to when you need to play out of structure, that that means you have to extend the play and run out of the pocket. And for the first probably two or two and a half months of the season, Justin Herbert was trying to figure out how to deal with living with that injury. And so that really restricted the way he was able to throw the football and the type of plays that the Chargers were able to call for him. Was he too tough for his own good? I mean, I don't think so. But I mean, the, you ask that question to any football player, they're going to say, hey, can you go? Of course, the answer is, yeah, I can go. And th that's just what it is. But he had to, to get those injection shots for the first month or probably month and a half to even to be able to suit up and go play. But injection shots and, and, and Chargers fans, it's kind of a, a touchy subject there. Huh? Sure. But I mean, it, it's part of every single NFL locker room. Everybody deals with injuries and, and trust me, they all get those shots, but yeah, oh, yeah. obviously uh, one of those didn't do very well uh, according to uh, our former quarterback, but that turned into Justin Herbert almost beating the, the Super Bowl champion Kansas city chiefs in his first NFL game. I mean, think about that. You are a rookie. Mm -hmm. You have no expectation of playing that game. You right. expect to just hold a clipboard. Yeah. And 15 minutes before game time, something like that, you get told that you are playing in your first game, starting yeah. your first game against none other than Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And this dude just comes out and slings it. No pressure, no yeah. choking. He goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best player in the league. And, and he just really hasn't looked back since. But can he take it to the next level? And your new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, 
he was brought in to do that. And I, yeah. I, I still can't believe that Dallas let Kellen Moore go. That mutual parting of the ways, or I kind of think it might have been a firing. An yeah. ill-advised firing, right? I mean, that, 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 that's all coach speak. Like, I mean, come on now. Let, let's just call it how it is. You guys had a difference of, of opinion and philosophy and how you want to run the offense. And you wanted to do a certain way, which was you wanted to run the football a little bit more. And Kellen Moore wanted to light up the scoreboard and run it up. And that just was a clash in philosophy. I happen to agree with Kellen Moore's philosophy much more. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the league does too. That's why it lasted about 12 minutes on the open market. I mean, it was, it was literally not even a day later that the chargers scooped him up, but can he finally kind of get the running game going and unlock some of those deep shots we talked about? Cause I think that combination has been a missing element in the Chargers' offensive attack. That's 100% correct. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the the rushing numbers and the touchdown numbers look fantastic. I mean, Austin Eckler led the entire world in touchdowns, not only last season, but the season before that. But when you look at the game-to-game efficiency numbers, they were not there. The Chargers were one of the worst teams in the league uh, rushing yards per game. And just, you know, that's a simple fact. But, and and a lot of the, the people that have talked about why that didn't go well, you know, the offensive linemen, the running backs, they didn't. They are. They said that they didn't really have a staple of plays that they could use, that they could rely on, that they could go out there and really have and create an identity around. And that's one of the first things that Kellen Moore wants to bring in is that you know, hey, we're gonna. These are gonna be our bread and butter plays. These are gonna be the guys. The these are gonna be the plays that we trust in, that we believe in, that we can go out there and we can execute. And it's all about marrying the run and the pass. You got to be able to make it look the same because that's when you do your play action work and it becomes extremely effective. And so I think the whole thing about the running game is the Chargers need to be able to run the ball when the other team knows that they're going to run the ball and still be successful. I think that's what Kellen Moore is going to be able to bring to the table. And that is going to definitely open up the deep shots for Justin Herbert to hit Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Quinton Johnston and Gerald Everett over the middle. Side question. Are you a little bit worried at all about running back death behind Austin Eckler? We all know Austin Eckler is all world. I, I really admire the guy a lot. Great guy, hell of a player, uh, amazing story from where he started. Yeah. But you don't want to give him 25 touches a game. No, so definitely what, not. What about the guys behind him, the Joshua Kellys and whatnot? Yeah, Joshua Kelly, for for to his credit last year, he really transformed his body and really rededicated himself. And that paid immediate dividends. I mean, he w- was a guy that was running around three yards a carry to, you know, over around four and a half last season. And so he was much more effective. He was you really saw the burst. You saw the vision. You saw the ability to, to really be a guy that the Chargers could trust to be able to give some carries to. And also another guy that you're going to see this year is Isaiah Spiller, who was the Chargers fourth round draft pick of last season. He didn't really get a chance to to get on the field because he was dealing with injuries. Also, didn't really pick up the offense as quickly. And hey, he was really young. He was a 20 year old this year. He kind of did the same thing that Joshua Kelly did. Went out there, put in the work, got his head in the playbook, really, really got an understanding. And he looked really good. I mean, Joshua Kelly in in the preseason ripped off about an 80 yard touchdown where he ran ran away from everybody. So I mean, to have that ability. Also, Isaiah Spiller did the same thing. It just got called back for a hold, but nobody was hit, was was able to catch up with him. And that was a 70-yarder that got called back. But I think right now the Chargers are feeling a lot better about their depth that they have at the running back position because you're right. The best way to keep Austin Eckler fresh 
is to be able to use him a little bit more sparingly. He's still such a weapon in the passing game, but if you can limit his touches a little bit, just give him a breather, especially in the middle of the season. I think you can help get the best version of Austin Eckler when the games really count towards the end of the year. Yeah, we have a poor man's version of Austin Eckler named Jarek McKinnon. Yes. And we basically just keep him on layaway <laughs> until the winter, you know, and let the other guys take the beating. Exactly. Uh, Isaiah Spiller, Chiefs fans kind of have an inside joke about his father, but he definitely has football in his DNA. I uh, hate to ask this and knock on wood, but can the Chargers actually stay healthy? Or is this truly some like snake bitten injury prone team? Because it really is bizarre, right? It is. Yeah, it's tremendously bizarre, obviously. I mean, <laughs> you're dealing with the quarterback that was hurt, the left tackle. I mean, the the center, the both of your wide receivers at different points, your your $27 million uh, defensive end in, in Joey Bosa. Uh, J.C. Jackson missed, you know, your $82.5 million corner. I mean, I can go on and on and on with the injuries. But the Chargers, they cleaned house. They got rid of their entire training staff. They completely brought in somebody new. But, I mean, hey, I'm sitting here trying to get that answer as well. I have no idea if they're going to be able to stay, stay healthy. I think what most Charger fans hope is that at least it just regresses to the mean. I think if you just get a little bit more injury luck and you're able to keep those key guys healthy, the Chargers can play with anybody. They have the talent to line up and square up against anybody in the league if they are at full strength. Obviously, the Chargers have to uh, have contingencies in place. And so I feel like in the draft, they were very calculated in, uh, in their approach, bringing in guys to be able to support that and be able to provide that type of depth. Are you worried about the wide receiver room or do you think Quentin Johnston was brought in specifically because of the age and kind of injuries Mike Williams and, and even Keenan Allen were dealing with last year? I think Keenan Allen uh, has been pretty durable after an unlucky first two years. Is that how you would classify him? But yeah. Yeah. So for, for Keenan, I think, you know, dealing with the hamstring injury, dealing with the setback when he got back though, and you look at his per game stats from week 11 to week 18, he was one of the most dominant receivers in, in, in the, in the NFL. So Keenan Allen's still very, very productive. And I think this year, He's looked incredible in camp. Like he's been uh, absolutely renewed. This offense looks like it's going to be one where he's not going to just be your third down king. And uh, he's going to be a guy that you go to on first down, go to on second down because he can do it. He's that uh, he, he is that good. And I think he's really just been restricted to that third down role a little bit more than he should have. And that's kind of taken the uh, playmaking ability away from him. But what Quentin Johnson's going to bring in here and do is he's going to be able to light things up on the underneath. I think they're going to set him up with a lot of run and catch, a lot of yards after catch opportunities, because that's what he does. If you look at what he did in college football, he forced 40 missed tackles throughout his three years at TCU, which was more than anybody in college football at that time. So he turns into a running back when he gets the ball in his hands. So you're going to be able to send Keenan to Mike deep and allow Quentin Johnston to be that target and to be that threat that you're going to have to bring down underneath. Yeah. Two thoughts here on the Quentin Johnston selection. I think the Chargers kind of saw what's happening with the Chiefs. The Chiefs had more yak than any team in the last 15 years right. last year. Yeah. The the Eagles, the 49ers, three of the four top teams that were left standing at the end were the leaders in yak. Yeah. So you have that. And then with Kellen Moore, last year, CeeDee Lamb had more yards at the slot than any player in the NFL. Yeah. And the fantasy football enthusiast, that excites me about Keenan Allen, but the Chiefs fan is, is terrified because I think he's going to have a banner year. I think I heard that if you take Cooper Cup up until the point he got injured 
and then add it to Keenan Allen, who came back at about the same time, you would have had the wide receiver one in fantasy. So maybe because of when it happened, and I know he had a big week in yeah. week 18, I yeah. think people forget about how good Keenan Allen was last year. Yeah, I mean, Keenan Allen was great, but I mean, it's just because it was overshadowed by the hamstring injury. I mean, he, he missed nine weeks. And obviously, when you miss that amount of time and you have a setback uh, involved in that and you're on the wrong side of 30, all I mean, people are going to come to the natural conclusions of, hey, he lost a step or he's not as effective. That's not the truth. I honestly, I think that couldn't be anything further from the truth. And I think Keenan Allen is going to put the league on notice this year. And the thing is, is about Kellen Moore. One another thing that he's going to do is he's not going to just restrict Keenan Allen to the slot. He's going to put him outside. He's going to move Mike Williams into the slot. He's going to look for those matchups, those matchups where you have three wide receivers that are six foot three or, or taller. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Quentin Johnston, they are going to look for those matchups. They're going to exploit those matchups and they're going to move those wide receivers around. So you can't key on key in on where they're at and it's going to make you have to identify them. Yeah, I hope our corners are ready. I think they will be, but that is a pretty tall task. Tell me this, who is one X factor from the Chargers roster that opposing fans might be sleeping on? You can give me a couple. Our our last guest gave gave us three and I think this is very informative for us to learn about guys that have been popping in uh, Chargers camp that we might not know about yet here in the Midwest. Sure, yeah, I'll start on on offense for the Chargers. I think one person who is going to really benefit from the Chargers going deep and, and really stretch, stretching the field is tight end Gerald Everett. Tight end Gerald Everett is going to eat over the middle of the football field. He's like also a guy who's been a yak type of monster throughout his career and a guy who's gotten better year over year over year. And with Justin Herbert, uh, I think he is really in, in tune and in line for a very big season, you know, really attacking the middle and the underneath part of the field. And then on defense, a guy I'm going to be watching out for is Kenneth Murray. Kenneth Murray is the former first round pick of the Chargers who by all accounts has underperformed throughout his you know first three or four years in the league. And the Chargers did not pick up his fifth year option, but the Chargers did bring in Eric Hendricks, who's a former all pro linebacker who is a commander in the middle of the defense. He's a guy who can really keep make sure that people are lined up. He's a strong communicator, has played a lot of football, understands things. And I think he's going to be the guy that's going to help unlock the best version of Kenneth Murray and Kenneth Murray to his credit also has looked a lot better. He's said that he understands the defense. Now he can go out there and play fast. The physicality of his game has always been there. He's a sideline to sideline guy. He can rush. He can, you know, he's a pretty, he can be a presence, but he was never really there mentally. He was always a step slow. I think that part of the game has been solved. So I think Kenneth Murray is going to be a guy you should absolutely look out for in the middle of the Chargers defense. I think he's going to be a big year for him. And I think Eric Hendricks is a big part of that. Well, the reason you have Eric Hendricks is because Drew Tranquil went over to behind enemy lines. We're very yeah. happy to have him because I think we had some issues with uh, our linebacking core in the, the passing side of defense. Yeah. And I know he leaves a little bit to be desired as a run stopper, but I think in terms of coverage, he's he's a pretty lights out player. Now yeah. with Gerald Everett, he and Justin Herbert really got into a rhythm late last mm-hmm. year, correct? Yeah. Yeah, towards the end of the season, they they were they were really, especially in that playoff game. Obviously, it's easy to forget because of how it ended. But Gerald Everett went crazy in that game. I mean, he had over a hundred yards receiving, and he was one of the main targets of Justin Herbert. He got, I think, he got so gassed or something that that 
Herbert threw a pick. Am I, am I remembering this right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course, you got to throw those little shots in there. But um, yeah, yeah, it was against the Chiefs. Uh, honestly, I think that was really more a situation to where they should have took a timeout and, and really kind of got their bearings um, and then executed a play. But yeah, that did happen. And and that really, one really wasn't on Justin Herbert. That was really more on Gerald Everett. But obviously, hey, we go through these situations. You live and learn. And I guarantee you he's not going to make that mistake again. Well, maybe some of that is because... Brandon Staley, who has been hailed as a defensive genius and is one of kind of the, the, I would say the architects of the, the kind of too high Vic Fangio stuff. He was one of the the kind of thought leaders who, who shifted things defensively in the league. And it's kind of ironic that his own quarterback has seen some of that, but do you think that it's been hard for him to juggle those vast defensive responsibilities and kind of the CEO type duties that maybe lead to, oh, I should have called a timeout there. We've seen this with Andy Reid in his past. It took, he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. Yeah. Absolutely. And it took him, I don't know, a, de- a decade or longer to really master that side uh, of the, of the job. And it, it still rears its ugly head from time to time with even Andy. So yeah. where do you think Brandon Staley is at with juggling defensive mastermind with CEO of the entire roster? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing to remember is that this is his third year as a head coach, and so he's still very, very new. I mean, all of those responsibilities are still, you know, something that he has to get used to and he has to get comfortable with. But uh, I feel like, you know, that's the t- those are the type of growing pains that you have to go through, and you're you're going to correct those mistakes going forward. But I feel like they got a new defensive coordinator who's you know been in house, which is Derek Ansley, who is a guy that's been able to produce some tremendous development with the Chargers secondary. I think there's a couple of guys that you can point to, like Michael Davis, like Jazier Taylor, guys that have really you know improved their game, and I think Derek Ansley is a big part of that. Um, Brandon Staley is still going to be calling plays on defense. I mean, it, it is his defense after all, but I feel like his supporting staff is going to be able to take some of that pressure off of him to allow him to do his job at a higher level. I think procedurally, uh, the former coach of the Chargers, Anthony Lynn, had a lot more problems with those game management type of decisions. And I honestly feel like even with the you know younger head coach, Brandon Staley is a little bit better at it than he was. My bit of criticism for Staley was, I think maybe he was really aggressive on fourth down. Mm-hmm. And then the old school kind of football guys got on to him about it. And I feel like he backed off a little bit. I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it's just uh, for Brandon Staley. He just said it's like the it's all dependent on the team that I have. Like, And okay. I think the first year, Brandon Staley recognized that that defense wasn't the type of defense he wanted to run because he didn't have the, the right personnel to be able to execute it more effectively. So who do you trust more? A defense that you don't really have the right personnel to run or the, an offense with Justin Herbert with all the weapons available to you. So it's more like, who do I trust in this situation more? And of course, the answer more often than not was Justin Herbert in the offense. I th- and also the special teams unit was really, really bad too. So that plays a factor in the decision. Last year, the special teams unit was much, much better. The defense was a little bit better, not much. Um, but that's, I think, what factored more so in the decision making. It's really you have to make those type of decisions based off of what team you have in that current year. I can see that. So it's a more of a story of being overmatched yeah. defensively that first year versus, oh, I'm going to let Boomer Esiason and co. bully me out of right. that kind of aggressive mindset. I have to tell you, as a Chiefs fan, 
I get very sick of teams going for it on, <laughs> on fourth and five and fourth I'm and sure. six. So that you guys have backed off of that maybe a tad. Uh, I, I really, I really thank you for that. Before I get you out of here, I want to get your prediction for this series. Chief sweep, one and one, charger sweep. What are you taking? Yeah, I'm not going to go with a sweep on either end, just because okay. if you look at the last four times that the Chargers have played the Chiefs, it's all come down to seven points or less. So there is no team in the NFL that plays the Chiefs harder or closer than the Chargers do. And that's a fact. I, I think that you can you can confidently the Bengals might have a, might have that. a little bit of an argument. But I, I, I agree that the Chargers play the Chiefs. I mean, going back uh, Phil, to even Phil Rivers and you guys have always kind of been. Uh, a thorn in our side. I remember the Mike Williams kind of walk off game. Yeah, and, and really these these games were were a couple of Travis Kelsey walk offs away from from maybe different outcomes or or the yeah. uh, the Jalen Watson pick six, uh, a few game changing moments. Yeah, one and play here or there. So you're you're going basically home road split for the Chargers. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what the what I think that's what's going to happen. But um, I'm not going to go home and road split. I think the Chargers are going to go win in Arrowhead. I think oh, they're going to take that win. That's and juicy. They're they're, they're going to lose uh, the game at SoFi. But I honestly can see it going either way. I mean, between these two teams, Kansas City is very well coached. They have an, a Hall of Fame coach. They have the best player in the planet with Patrick Mahomes. Chris Jones, I think, is something that all Chiefs fans are worried about. And Charger fans are sitting there like, well, he's going to probably miss out that first game, which is fantastic for us. Um, obviously, he's a, a tremendous difference maker. But who else is going to be coming after the the passer besides him? I think that really takes a, a large portion of the stress away uh, of attacking the, the Chiefs defense. And if he's not there, I think the Chargers should take full advantage of that opportunity. You're not wrong. He was the most doubled player in the NFL last season. So, and I believe the last time the Chargers beat the Chiefs, it was an arrowhead a couple years ago. Correct. During that that kind of ugly three and four stretch the Chiefs had off that Super Bowl hangover. David, you've been an awesome guest. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll definitely have you back. Good luck to the Chargers this season. Hey, I appreciate it, Adam. Thanks for the invite. Take Absolutely, care, guys. man. Take care. Woo. I love learning about these other teams and, and uh, their perception versus our perception because it's easy for Chiefs fans to just sit here and say, we've been on top for seven seasons. We've dominated the Broncos thoroughly. The Chargers, we hear this hype story every preseason. It never manifests. So it's easy to kind of like, you know, get a little high on our horse or rest on our laurels and kind of, eh, yeah, yeah, we've heard this before. But I do think there are legitimate reasons for optimism, both in LA and the Rocky Mountains. Uh, Justin Herbert, no doubt about it, top six quarterback in the NFL, top six young quarterback. He will be that for a long time. Uh, and then Sean Payton, really outside of maybe our own Andy Reid, of course, but also Kyle Shanahan, a few others. He's one of the brightest offensive minds in the game. So I think they are going to be a bigger challenge this year. And, and maybe just by the Chargers staying a little bit healthier, they will have a better year. But that does it for today's show. Big props to the chat as always. We appreciate you guys. Before you roll out, do us a favor by liking this video and subscribing to the Arrowhead Attic channel if you haven't already here on YouTube. And if you're an audio listener on Apple Podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating. That really helps us reach more fans. Big help if you could do that. We will be back next Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Me and Sterling, regular Wacky Wednesday. 
That's uh, Central Time right here on the Arrowhead Addict YouTube channel. But until then, go Chiefs. Go Chiefs.